Buenos dias, buenos dias. Good morning. How are we doing? Are we live this morning? Yes. Great. Look to the person next to you and say thank you for being here. Thank you for coming to West Cabarrus Church. Give them a smile. Show them that you brushed your teeth this morning. Um, uh, we want to thank you all for being here. Thank you for this opportunity as well to be able to share God's Word. If you're here for the first time, we want to thank you for being here. Uh, it's an honor to have you. Um, and if you're here in the worship center, thank you. Um, and if you're watching online, we also want to thank you for connecting with us this morning. Um, we have a special family with us. Uh, they're missionaries in Argentina. They're the Pascua family. Uh, they were here with us about two years ago. Uh, and Nicole, the, the wife, is my wife's niece. And so they're going to be here this week. He's going to be sharing one morning with the students, a devotional. Uh, but they're going to be in the back. If you'd like to know a little bit about what they're doing in Argentina and how they're reaching thousands of students with the gospel, uh, they'll be back there to be able to share with you a little bit about what God is doing through them. We're, we're thankful for them this morning. If you have your Bibles, it's open to Psalm 130. 130. We're going uh, through a series uh, in, entitled Praying the Bible. And so for those who have been coming, God has been using his word in a very special way. Um, uh, Pastor Ryan and other speakers have been taking passages and specifically prayers for men and women from Scripture that allow us to understand the importance of praying God's word, God's word. So as we open this morning, uh, hopefully you came with a desire to listen to God's word. Uh, so please don't listen to my voice, listen to God. Because every time we open this book, what we listen to is his word. So let's uh, read this passage together starting in verse 1, Psalm 130. It says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for this place that you have given us. A place where your people may gather. And those that we invite or have asked to come. And we open this book. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you because your words are eternal. And you desire to speak to our hearts this morning. We ask you, we implore, that you, through the power of your Spirit, may take hold of this word and penetrate into the depths of our soul. And Lord, I pray that we may leave this place transformed by the power of your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. About five years ago with our family, we had the uh, opportunity of going to the city of Los Angeles, California. Um, I don't know if you knew, but my son went through a process of uh, cancer. He had osteosarcoma, bone cancer. Uh, went through 18 chemo treatments, a full knee and upper tibia replacement. But uh, the nonprofit organization, Make-A-Wish, 
uh, gave my son his wish. And his wish was to go to Cars Land in Los Angeles at California Adventure Park because since he was a small boy, he loved everything about cars. Not so much now because he's 17, but he loved, loved cars. And so we went. And let me tell you, it was an awesome, awesome opportunity. Uh, Make-A-Wish gave us t-shirts, uh, some pins, and so we walked into that amusement park. Now, we're, we're crazy creatures, right? Because like you uh, and, and me, we, we love going to these amusement parks, right? We, we love the attractions. We love the rides. I mean, we are weird people. We're willing to wait hours for a three or four minute ride, right? So we, we love these attractions, but what we hate the most are what? The lines. Oh, not that day. Oh, my goodness. We had these T-shirts on. We had the pins. And I think the most we waited on one of the rides that we rode was three minutes. Three minutes. The, the car's ride, the line for that ride was three and a half hours. And all we did was wait two, I think it was two or three minutes. And one opportunity that we, because we rode it many times, but one opportunity we, we, we were riding and so we stopped and the guy says, you guys want to ride it again? I said, yeah, great, let's do it. We rode four times that ride at that moment. It was awesome. So we get off the ride and Alex looks at me and says, dad, this is great. He says, can we wear this t-shirt and this pin every time we go to these parks? I said, no, son, only once. This is the only time. Many people believe that life should be like wearing a Make-A-Wish t-shirt, where everything is fabulous, everything is great, uh, we should have no problems, right? I mean, the plan that I put together should work every single time, but you and I know that that is not life. You know that there are moments of waiting in our lives, which we do not like to wait, and see, as we read this passage in Psalm 130, we see the question that the psalmist is asking us together this morning. You see, that the question is not if we're going to wait or not. The question is, are we willing to wait well? So I, I don't know how you came to this place this morning, or you that are watching online. I don't know if you, just like the psalmist, is going through a very difficult time in your life. But this morning, the Spirit of God, through His Word, desires to teach us how we wait well. What we find is the psalmist writing from the, 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 the deep end of his soul so that we today may understand the importance of waiting well. Psalm 130 is part of a group of psalms that were compiled by the nation of Israel known as Psalms of Ascent. From uh, chapter 120 to chapter 134, we find these psalms that were used um, during the voyage that many Jewish people made, leaving the place they resided in or lived at, and they would go to the city of Jerusalem to enjoy adoration and worship of God. My question is, how, how are you waiting during this time of knowing that our lives completely should be worshiping God at every second and moment in our lives. It was funny, I was thinking about the lines at those parks. Uh, some kids were waiting like this kid here, right? 
I mean, they were there for hours, and so they would complain. They would ask questions, right? They would say, Mom, I'm hungry. It's too hot, right? And uh, others would wait like this one here on the slide. They're still waiting, right? My question this morning, as we, 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 we take this passage, is how are you waiting? The nation of Israel will take, would take these psalms, and as they were walking towards Jerusalem in a uh, desert landscape, in a difficult terrain, they would call out these psalms and begin to sing these songs in a special way. Can you imagine picturing that? The nation of Israel, many, many Jewish people walking towards Jerusalem. The attraction was the temple, but they knew that they still had a long way to go. What they used the psalms for was to remind themselves of God's goodness. God's goodness. Now, the psalmist here is explaining through these verses that there will always be a space between where I'm at where I would like to be in God. This is why I need to surrender my desires, my timelines, my plans, and allow God to take over. It is how we respond to God in the space that will determine spiritual growth or spiritual decline. We have to understand that the question of life is not primarily only what happens to us, but the question is how I respond to what happens to me. In verses 5 and 6 in this passage, we we find the psalmist finally land on firm ground. And we, we, we see here his thesis of understanding what waiting well is all about. And he begins in verse 5 and he says, my soul waits. We, we see two important truths that come out of verse 5 and 6. The first one is, I need to wait. Now, the, the word wait in the Hebrew is the word kavah. And it, and it means entwining. It talks about or gives the picture of the extension of two cords being braided together with the goal of not knowing where one starts and where the other ends. To wait in the Lord gives us the idea to be entangled completely with God's goodness and grace. This desire is one of perseverance, which strongly extended It's strongly extended from my own heart to God. And it should be extended through an active, energetic waiting which God expects from those who belong to Him. This wait is not one of complaining or questioning. No, it's it's one of of a journey. A journey that I enjoy knowing God has delivered us and always will deliver us because He is faithful. That is why God left more than 3,000 promises in his word, so that we may understand that he will be faithful. Now, I love the writer here, the psalmist, because he focuses on who God is, his person. In verse 5, he uses God's name, Lord, which you find in all capital letters. When we see that, that is the word, the Hebrew name of God, Yahweh, which is God's covenant name. The name that explains that because God made a pact or a covenant with his people, no matter what they do, he will be faithful to what he promised. And in verse 6, the writer uses the name Adonai. You see the little L capitalized, and then the rest of the letters are lowercase. Adonai uh, uh, signifies or, or means master or Lord. His heart and his focus was only on God's presence, his person. 
And that's why he, he found himself walking on firm ground. This only can happen through a life of prayer and, and going to God and knowing that I, I don't run from God in my situation. No, I run to him. I love what Ian Bounds said. He said, the goal of prayer is the ear of God, a goal that can only be reached by patient and continued and continuous waiting upon him, pouring out our heart to him and permitting him to speak to us. Only by so doing can we expect to know him. And as we come to him and know him better, we shall spend more time in his presence and find that presence a constant and increasing delight. We must wait on the Lord. But the second truth we find in verses 5 and 6 is that the psalmist began to hope in God's word. Now, the psalmist loved God's word, but he did not take God's word only to fill his head with knowledge. No, he desired to believe in God's word and to believe in it with expectation. That's why two times in verse 6, he says, my soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch men for the morning. Twice. The psalmist here is affirming that he was waiting with expectation on God's word just like a security guard or a watchman long for the morning. Knowing that when the sun comes out, their shift is over and they can go home. They can rest. A heart of expectation and delight in knowing that the morning is come is an opportunity. It's a new day that allows me to rest in hope in God's word. Throughout scripture, we find men and women who were asked to wait. Abraham was 75 when he received the promise from God that he was going to have a son. But Isaac wasn't born until Abraham was 100 years old. Joseph had a 13-year waiting period between being sold by his brothers as a slave and when he became second in command in Egypt. I love what Psalm 105:19 says. It says, it, it was the word of the Lord that had tested him. And I love what prophet, the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 40, 31. They who wait in the, Lord, in the Lord will renew their strength. There is power in this space of waiting. There is a special strength that comes forth our waiting well. A fortified, strong foundation that only the Lord can build in us when uh, these truths become a force in our lives. I love what John Orderberg said. He said, waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. <laughs> waiting is part of the process of becoming what or who God wants us to be. So let us learn this morning. Why? Because we, like the psalmist, sometimes go through times of difficulty. Of despair. Life is not a make-a-wish t-shirt. No, life is real. And because we live in a broken world and because we are broken ourselves, we know that there will be moments just like the psalmist. Look at where he was. As we go back to verse 1, he says, out of the depths I call your name. The word depths here in the Hebrew is a common metaphor for suffering and despair and depression. The writer here is talking specifically about what he was going through 
We don't know who wrote this psalm. Many believe it was King David uh, during the time he was being persecuted by King Saul. I mean, it was a dark time in the life of David. He, he, was, he was being pursued by somebody who wanted to eliminate his life. Uh, others believe it was Ezra during a very difficult time in the life of the nation of Israel when they were in captivity in Babylon. But what we find is, is a man that the only thing he knew what to do was to call out to God. Thankfully, this man did not run away from God. No, he, he, he grew closer to God. And, and he called out, Lord, listen, listen to my voice. It was Charles Spurgeon that said, it's more important for God to listen to your prayer than to ask God to answer all of your prayers. Because answering all of your prayers could be dangerous. He calls out to God. You see, this man, this psalmist, at this moment in his life, in the middle of his time of despair and depression, needed a rope. That's what he needed. He was in the depths of that pit, uh, of that ditch. He, he couldn't get out, and so he needed to call out for a rope, and God was going to be faithful to him and throw him that rope. And what we find in these eight verses are the threads of that rope. The threads of the rope that God sent the psalmist to lift him up, to allow him to walk upon firm ground. Now, I don't know what you're going through this morning. You might be in a period of waiting that has been difficult for your life. Maybe you're waiting for a result of a medical exam that you took a couple days ago. Maybe at this moment, you're living a time of despair because you're waiting for response from your physicians to continue the treatment that you're going through? Maybe you are waiting for uh, a response from that job interview that you had a couple weeks ago. Maybe you have debts to pay. You, you have no idea how to do it. Maybe you're parents with wayward children, daughter, son, that you've been praying for years, asking God to save them, asking God to do something in their lives, and nothing has happened Maybe you are in that place just like the psalmist and you too must plead to God to throw that rope that will lift you up to allow you to stand on firm ground. That's what happened in the life of the psalmist. What are the threads? Well, what we see here is a man who focused clearly on God's character. God's rope only consists on his character. That's why we have to go back. And this is what the psalmist did. I love it because in verse 4, he says, but with you. In verse 7, he continues and says, for with you. At the end of verse 7, he says, and with him there is. The language the psalmist uses in those verses speak of, of, of a man who desired to see God's character display itself in him and through him. And God did. That's why he was lifted up. All throughout Scripture, we see that God loves to talk about his character because it's in his character where we can grab a hold on just like a rope in time of need and we're lifted up to continue this walk with him. I love what he tells prophet Jeremiah in chapter 9 of the book of Jeremiah. He says, I don't want my people to boast in their wisdom I don't want my people to boast in their own strength. 
I don't want my people to boast in uh, their way of doing things, in, in, in their riches. No, if anybody's going to boast, may they boast, he says in chapter 9, verse 24. May they boast in that they understand and know me. My question this morning is, do you know God? Do you know God? I think the best counsel that I received the moment my wife had a stillborn years ago. My counselor called me up. I was in tears. We couldn't believe it. It was the day the baby was supposed to be born. And he, on the other side of the phone, said, David, the only way we could meet and experience a God of comfort is through tears. Is through tears. You see, God desires to show up in your life. And he does it through his character. And so in the life of the psalmist, this is what happened. We, we see the, the threads that flow in that rope. And we see a psalmist that grabbed hold of. He grasped the rope. And he was lifted up. And this is God's faithfulness in your life and mine. That's why it's important to understand and ask the question, do I belong to him? Does God belong to me? Because God has promised to be faithful. So what's the first thread? Well, we find it here in verse, uh, verses uh, 3 and 4. First of all, what we see here is the first thread of that rope. The truth that God is the God of forgiveness. He is forgiveness. The, the psalmist it, it continues speaking here in verse 3. And, and he says, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities. We, we see that word again, iniquities, in this passage. We learned a little bit about this word last week. This word iniquities speak of you and I. That the only thing we do is distort what, what was otherwise beautiful and good. We have ruined things. This is what he's saying. And he's saying, God, if you take tally of the things that we have ruined, who can stand before you? No one. It's a rhetorical question. He's answering himself saying, there is no one that can stand before God. I love what P.T. Forsyth, a Scottish theologian, said. He said, there is no depth so deep to us as when God reveals his holiness in dealing with our sin. You see, God's standard is perfection. And none of us, no one on the face of the planet Earth can stand before that standard. This culture lies to us. This, this society lies to us, telling us that we should not live under anybody's standard. They say you should live under your own standard, but my standard is weak, it's feeble, it's superficial. It, it's, it's ruined because of my sin. But oh, when I lift my eyes and see the standard of God, I come to understand that I cannot stand before him. A couple months ago, I had the opportunity of being part of a jury here in the city of Concord in a criminal case. It was an incredible experience. We gathered together, deliberated, went over the evidence, and we declared the defendant guilty. The judge, after we declared him guilty, asked us if we wanted to stay for the sentencing, so we did. I'd, I'd never been there live, in a courtroom like that, live. I watched it on TV, but not live, and so I stayed. And it was an unbelievable experience, but the moment I sat down in that sentencing, I, I focused on the defendant. And you could tell this guy was desperate. I mean, he was nervous, he was sweating. 
You could tell he had a huge burden on his shoulders. And I imagine at that moment, this man began to think, why did I do what I did? I knew it was wrong. I knew I shouldn't have done it, but I did it anyways. Why? And then secondly, I imagine he was thinking, who can save me? Who, is, who loves me so much that is willing to give his life to take and pay my penalty? No one. You see, he probably placed his hope on the defense attorney, but that didn't work. I imagine he placed his hope on us as a, ju- as a jury, and that didn't work. I imagine he looked at the judge and he said, the judge will have clemency. Maybe she'll let me go. That didn't work either because he was sentenced to 40 years in prison. But after that sentencing, I just sat there that day and I began to think about my own life. I started thinking about 30 years before when I was 18 years old. I too stood and sat at the defense table hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, hearing that because of my sin, I was separated from the standard of perfection of God. And man, did it hit me that night. I felt, I felt naked. I felt so filthy that night. As I comprehended the fact that everything that I've done, everything that I was doing and everything that I would do in the future, only only would give me condemnation, eternal condemnation. But that same night, I heard the love of the one who did take my place. The one that was willing to make himself sin, to to carry my sin, to, to take my burden on that cross, to be crucified unjustly, and to be to be buried and rise again three days later. That night... I came to understand that the only way I was going to be able to stand before God's perfection was to accept and believe what Jesus did in my behalf. And friends, I never forget that night. Because that night I received forgiveness. God forgave all of my sin. This is the power of this message. And so my question for you this morning is, have you come to experience His forgiveness Have you come to understand that you cannot stand before the standard of God, which is perfection? There is nothing you can do. Many place their hope in their money, in their careers, in their families, in their children, in what they have, but all those things will burn up. Everything is going to burn. So God tells you and reminds you this morning, I am a God that forgives. And that's what the psalmist says in verse 4. He says, even though no one can stand before you, there is forgiveness in you. This phrase, there is forgiveness, in the Hebrew language, speaks of cutting something off. It it, it talks about uh, an amputation in the sense. Maybe you have gone through some type of amputation in one of your limbs or your body. Maybe you know a loved one that has. That's horrendous. It's 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 difficult. My son, we go back, he goes back to the clinic and the hospital to talk to patients. And a couple years ago, we went to go visit a little boy, same age as Alex, had the same cancer, osteosarcoma, in the same place in his knee. They placed the same prosthesis in his knee after taking and pulling his knee out. But his prosthesis broke twice. He went through two surgeries, 
it broke again. They were going to have a third surgery, and the boy, 11 years old, said, I don't want any more surgeries. He said, amputate my leg. We went to the hospital to visit this little boy after the amputation. It was difficult. As we walked into that room, it was difficult. Because I looked, I said, this could be Alex. But Alex prayed for him at that moment. And after we spoke to the family, we got to share the truth of Christ. We, we left that hospital, but we broke down. I broke down. We prayed together, and we began to call out to God. We said, God, thank you. My son is 17. He's in remission. He's, he's healthy. And so that day, in our hearts, we humbled ourselves before God, and we said, God, you are good. You are good. And this is what the psalmist says in verse 4. He says, you are a God of forgiveness, and that's why people fear you. You see, fear of God is not being afraid of God. Fear of God is understanding his goodness and how through his mercy he can forgive a person like me and how through his goodness he continues to want to work in my life and through it. So the first thread is forgiveness. But the second thread that we find in this passage is this phrase, steadfast love. That God not only is forgiveness, he is steadfast love. Now, we learned a little bit about this word or this phrase uh, last week as well. The word in the Hebrew language is hesed. We just went to Honduras a couple weeks ago. And one of the missionaries at Word of Life Honduras, they named their daughter hesed. Beautiful name. We learned last week that Hesed speaks about a love that is not a human love. It's a, it's a divine love. This love, Hesed, speaks of a stubborn love, a love that never gives up. We find this word 250 times in the Old Testament. And to God, it's important for us to learn what this love is all about. God desires us to experience this love personally and then secondly, he says, I want you to live out this love. This is what we find in Matthew chapter 9. It, it, we see here Matthew's calling to the ministry. Uh, in chapter 9 of Matthew, we find the Lord sitting with, with tax collectors and sinners. And the religious leaders begin to criticize Christ. They begin to talk bad about him. And then they ask him, why do you sit with these people? Why do you spend time with them? And it's interesting, he begins to tell them, well, I have come for the sick. I have not come for those who believe they're healthy. No, I have come for those who know they need a physician. And dear friend, each and every one of us on the face of this planet need the great physician. But then in verse 13, he looks at these religious leaders. These men knew the scriptures. These men had to memorize the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. These men supposedly spent all their time studying the Word of God. But then he looks, Jesus looks at these men, and he says, go and learn. And then he says, go and learn that I desire mercy. The word mercy there in the Greek is elios. This is the translation of the Hebrew word hesed of the Old Testament. Same word. And then he continues and says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. 
For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus had come for the sick. And thank, thank to God, thank you, Lord, for what you did. It says, I have come for the sick, not for those who believe they are healthy. You see, as we find here in Psalm 130, the psalmist speaks of God's faithfulness in bringing judgment and salvation to his people. He, he talks about it, understanding that nobody could stand before him. But at the same time, he also elaborates the fact that even though no one can stand before him, his judgment, his beautiful love, his said, is centered on one place, the cross. The cross, where Jesus died carrying our sin completely satisfying God's demand of justice and amplifying his love and providing salvation to sinners like us. I was in South Asia a couple months ago talking to a group of pastors. And I began to tell them about my life and how I did so many things to my dad. My dad was a pastor as well. Me and my dad have the same name, so I would steal his credit cards to go out and buy the latest Air Jordans latest clothing, right? I would uh, steal the offerings of the church. I knew where my dad would put the offerings of the church. And so I, I would go and I'd steal money from those offerings. You should have seen the faces of these pastors. They couldn't believe it. The country I was in is a country that lives by the honor and shame uh, values. And so they were astonished. And so I began to tell them that when I came to Christ, I called my dad and then a month later, I went back to California. I was in New York. I went back to California, and I sat down with my dad. And I read Luke chapter 15, and I said, Dad, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. I ask you to forgive me. And at that moment, I asked the pastors, what would your dad do? And they started laughing. Oh, my dad probably wouldn't talk to me ever again. My dad would probably disown me. My dad would even pick up the phone to call me. He, he wouldn't care. And I said, you know what my dad did? My dad got up from the seat that night. He came up to me, gave me a hug, and he said, son, if Christ has forgiven everything I have done, everything I will do, who am I not to forgive you? Oh, that night, that night I saw God's love through the life of a father willing to forgive his son for all the things that he had done. This is the love that Jesus tells us this morning that we have to go and learn. It doesn't matter how much you know about the Bible. It doesn't matter how many years you have been following Christ. The question is, is this said coming out of the pores of your life so that the world may know that there's no other love than the love of Christ? The last thread, and we finish. God not only is the God of all forgiveness, God is steadfast love. But thirdly, we see that the psalmist begins to describe God's redemption. You see, God is redemption. And he calls out in verse 7 and he says, Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. Because with him, this redemption is abundant, he says. It's plentiful. It's not just for a few, but it's generous enough for many. This is our hope. This is the hope that we have for family members that we know that aren't walking with Christ. This is the hope that we have for friends, coworkers, neighbors. The hope that God's uh, abundant salvation, redemption can reach their lives. 
I love the word in the Hebrew language of this word redemption. It means to ransom, to cash a bond, to liberate, but also speaks of an evident redemptive separation. You see, God's redemption is ample, it's full, it abounds. It is not limited, it's not exhausted, it cannot be exhausted. It's enough for all, enough for each, enough for me, enough for you. That's why God says, come to me, come to me. The best picture of this redemptive separation is the book of Exodus. How God, through his mercy and his grace, knowing exactly what his people were going to do in the future, he decides to save them. He pays the price and he takes them out of slavery to this new land. He takes them out of where they were to save them. And it's interesting that God is super clear because to Moses, there was no doubt why he was doing this. It wasn't because now everyone in the nation of Israel could do whatever they pleased, and they could live anywhere they want, they could do whatever they want. No. God says, Moses, the purpose of why I'm going to do what I'm going to do is one. And that purpose is so the people of Israel could serve me. That's what God says. Seven times he tells Moses. Seven times he tells Moses, I am giving them redemption. I am redeeming Israel so they may serve me. Serve me. This is our calling. This is our purpose. This is what was in the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ while he was on earth. In Luke 10, we see that he's about to send out ten disciples, uh, 70 disciples. Sorry, 70 disciples. And before they go out, he stops and he says, this is the heart of the mission, prayer. We have to pray. And we're going to pray, first of all, to the Lord of the harvest. You see, the harvest... Redemption belongs to God. That's what the Bible tells us. In 2 Timothy, it says that God knows exactly who belongs to him. The harvest is the Lord's. But then he says, because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, let us pray to the Lord of the harvest so he can send out more workers. Service. That we're called to shine for God. The, the question I ask you this morning, and maybe you are in a ditch. Maybe you are in a hole. Is your life reflecting to others the fact that God has redeemed your soul? Can people see that you have received great riches in Christ as Ephesians teaches us? Because you placed your faith on the only person, on the only one that could redeem your soul. Can they see it? That is why my question for you this morning is, when was the last time you shared about this abundant redemption with others? Was it yesterday? Two days ago? A month ago? A year ago? Two years ago? Listen, if our lives is not communicating the truth of God's redemption, there's something wrong. We have to understand that if I'm not sharing the truth of Christ and what Christ did for me, there's something wrong. Something is happening. You have to evaluate your heart. I have to evaluate my, my life and say, Lord, what is wrong? Why can't I not, I not share about what you are and what you have done for me? The gospel must come out of our pores and understand that all these riches that I have received in Christ, it is not for me to spend it on myself. It is not simply to, to think about myself and what I'm going through in my difficulty. No, it's to, to grab hold of the rope 
and allow the Spirit of God to raise me to firm ground and then I shout His Word so that others could also hear. I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The word waiter and waitress, that English word, does not speak about someone who is static. No, it speaks about somebody who moves around, right? That's active. Uh, all of us go to restaurants. We, we're waited on, right? You have no idea what that waiter or waitress is going through. You have no idea. But they, they're, they're there at your beck and call. If you need some water, they, they'll pour you some water. If, if you want to order, they're, they're going to take your order. They're there, active, energetic, wanting to serve you. And we have heard stories of waiters and waitresses, right? A lot of single mothers. They have no place to stay. They're going through financial difficulties. We, we have no idea, but they serve. In the same way, our lives are called to do the same exact thing. God saves us so we can serve. And we are waiters and waitresses for God. In our community and to the nations, no matter what I confront, God pulls me up from the ditch. He pulls me from the ditch, and I stand on His firm ground, on His character, and I tell the world that there's no one like Him. If you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, don't wait till tomorrow. Tomorrow could be too late. Come to Him this morning. He is calling you. He is saying, come to me. I am the only one that can give you peace. Your friends, you cannot hope in. Uh, your money, your profession, your career, you can't hope on those things. The only person that will give you complete satisfaction is the one who paid the price for you. Would you come to him? Christ calls us to come to him. And those who come, he then says, go. I pray this week that all of us in this auditorium or watching online, God could use us to speak to one person about the abundant redemption of God through Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you because there's so much that we can learn. And Lord, we, we ask you this morning to use us. Lord, we don't have much to give, but what we have, we place in your hands. And Lord, thank you for this rope. This rope that you continuously throw to us so we can focus on your forgiveness. Thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for this rope that you throw that is full of that steadfast love that has said that only you can give. And Lord, thank you because that rope also consists of this abundant redemption. Lord, allow us to be a people that spend the riches that you have given us in Christ for ourselves. No, let us give. And Lord, that we can wait on our community, that we could serve our community and, our, and the nations all around the world. 
Lord, I pray for those who don't have a relationship with you. God, speak to their hearts this morning. May they understand that they cannot stand before your standard perfection by themselves. That you made a way. You came to us. You made yourself flesh. And you died on that cross carrying our sin. And you give eternal life because you rose from the dead. You are God eternal. I pray, God, that you save this morning. I know there are people here that don't know you. I pray that you bring salvation to their souls today. And those who you've called and those who have responded, we ask you to send us, use us this week. Lord, that we can come back next week and share the great things that you did using us, sharing about this abundant redemption that's yours. We love you. We lay our lives before you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us stand and worship together.